queer. It's a word that we've all heard before, many times, and under many different contexts and meanings. Its meanings have morphed and changed throughout history, at times becoming poisonous and laced with venom. It's been a slur pointed towards members of the LGBT community. It perpetuates an otherness, a fear of what is different, a hatred of what outsiders cannot understand. For years, it served as a hit, a punch square in the nose, something to siphon all of the air from your lungs. For some, it felt like a death sentence, and for many, it still does. Being queer is a unifying experience, but it's also a unique experience, and sometimes one that is treacherous and lonely. Being queer, and this actually reminds me of a quote from Dr. Andrew Spieldenner, is to believe the smallest human unit is two, not one, and to understand that even when you feel lonely, you can never possibly be alone. Being queer is something solitary, something beautiful, something different, something loved, something hated. But namely, the community of queer individuals is deserving of the same love and acceptance given freely to the cisgender, heterosexual, non-queer community. People who don't even understand how good they have it. Hello, my name is Bryn Levine and this is Queer You, a podcast exploring the meanings and experiences of being queer in higher education and how acceptance of that queerness is important. I would like to start this podcast off by giving a brief history of the word queer. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines queer as differing in some way from what is usual or normal. The word first appeared in English somewhere around 1513 and was entirely harmless, meaning something not normal or unusual. Then, in 1894, that all changed. John Douglas, the Marquess of Queensbury, is the first person recorded as using the word queer as a slur. Douglas referred to gay men as snob queers in a now infamous court case, according to Days.com. After spending hours researching Douglas, the only word I can use to describe him and his remarkably heinous life is depressing. The Marquess of Queensbury is actually responsible for ruining famous playwright Oscar Wilde by launching a court case against him, as Oscar Wilde was engaged in a homosexual love affair with Douglas's third son. It is in this famous case that the word queer first takes on a derogatory meaning. Newspapers immediately picked up on the word, using it to describe homosexuality, a thing that most people then detested. And that's the connotation it stuck with for nearly 100 years. It was amidst the AIDS epidemic that the word queer was reclaimed. It became a symbol of anarchy of sorts, as queer punks would occasionally flood the streets chanting, we are here, we are queer, we will not live in fear. As the AIDS epidemic worsened and the gay rights movement gained momentum, the word queer began to unravel. The organization Queer Nation, which was formed in the late 80s and early 90s, claimed that by co-opting the word queer, they've disarmed homophobes. The movements in the 80s and 90s weaponized the word, turned the meaning on its head, 
most notably in the 1990 leaflet, Queers Read This, which was distributed throughout the 1990s New York Pride events. In a full turn of events, the word queer has now lost any meaning at all, meaning so many things and no things at once. Being an umbrella term, LGBTQ people can use the identifier as a safety blanket. Where gay has roots associated with the male spectrum of homosexuality, the word queer is associated with all non-heterosexual identities. Even entering the mainstream with celebrities such as Tessa Thompson and Kristen Stewart shying away from labels and instead embracing being unapologetically queer. Being queer isn't a new identity, and the word queer isn't a new invention. It's something that permeates through generations, through educational backgrounds, and through opportunities. Being queer is, again, a shared experience, and one that is often more difficult than the journeys and experiences of cisgender and heterosexual people. According to the Williams Institute, only 17% of LGBTQIA identifying people in the United States have obtained a bachelor's degree and only 13% have some form of a graduate school degree. However, in the study Concealable Stigma and Occupational Segregation Toward a Theory of Gay and Lesbian Occupations, post-secondary teachers ranked fairly high in the list of occupations where the proportion of lesbians among female-identifying workers and the proportion of gay men among male-identifying workers is disproportionately high. The study asserts that this is because of the inherently solitary yet social nature of jobs within academia. In this next segment, I will be interviewing two people existing within different times, spaces, locations, and lives, but sharing the experience of being unashamedly queer. First, I will interview Rosario Navalta, an undergraduate student at Hofstra University. Then I will interview my aunt, Rebecca Levine, who currently works in higher education at Salem State University in Salem, Massachusetts. Before I begin on the interviews, I just want to make a quick disclaimer. The question that I asked, I had run by the interviewees beforehand, and they were okay to answer them. Throughout the interviews, I ensured multiple times that the interviewee felt comfortable and safe answering these questions, delving into their personal experiences, and sharing a bit of themselves with me. Some of these questions are invasive. Do not ask people invasive questions, especially relating to identity, at random. Rosario is a junior at Hofstra University with a double major in History and Religion. Rosario serves in the executive board of QDPOC, the Queer and Trans People of Color Coalition, as the vice president, is an organizer with the Jefferson's Gotta Go campaign, and works as a peer mentor. Rosario's pronouns are they, them, and they, them. Hi, Rosario. Hello. I forgot <laughs> that I'm also moral support, technically. Nonsense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rosario's also on the nonsense e-board. Re-nonsense. nonsense um, Okay. So... First, um, if you don't mind me asking, what do you identify as personally within the queer community? Um, so I identify as non-binary, uh, and uh, recently I've come out as like a lesbian simply because I do not like men, and it took me a very long time to be like, it's okay to not like men, um, because people try to tell you it's not okay to not like men, 
Um, but I also ID as queer. So like in general, I just say I'm a very queer lesbian. So I'm just like. Um, when did you first come out? Um, so like to myself, I knew that at the very, very bare bones of it, definitely in like, still in like kindergarten, I didn't come out so much as I kissed my best friend. I was like, interesting how girls are there. Um, <laughs> you know, um, the first time I came out as anything queer was probably in middle school when I turned like 12 or 13. So, you know, hormones. And also just the fact I was just like, mm, interesting how women be looking like that. Um, and I saw a picture of, like, a non-binary person. And I was like, oh, they sexy. And then I realized they didn't have a gender. And I was like, interesting how I feel very similarly to that. But I ended up Googling a bunch because I was extremely online. So I'd say, like, around 12 or 13. Probably a little earlier than that that I kind of knew. Like, I would say ranging from, like, 10 to 12, I was kind of like, I had an inkling of, like, oh... Mmm, interesting how I I have feelings for women. Um, or like non-men. Woo-hoo. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was the first time I came out. I've been coming out ever since as something different, basically, just cuz like sexuality evolves and your relationship to gender and attraction changes as well as you get older. That's true. I think it is really important like that you do come out to yourself first and I really yeah, think about no. it that way like before you have to even worry about someone else like it's you have to worry the about first yourself. thing you have to do is sit there and be like oh shit I'm not yeah. straight because it's like the default to think that you are straight because like like coming out was embedded for straight people because straight people can't get it through their heads that like people aren't straight or cisgender um some people are not like that since birth and some people realize that they aren't throughout life and like because the default is heterosexuality and cisgenderness you kind of have to like confront that and be like I'm not normal anymore whereas like especially when you're younger because like that narrative of normal even though like normalcy is made up it's a social construct Mm -hmm. um it's just one of those things that when you're younger you're just like oh fuck like everyone else around me which is like it's that horrifying ordeal of coming out to yourself is feeling like you're alone and then later in life realizing oh gay people exist outside of my brain yeah Um, which is like really really sad especially when you're growing up and you feel like you're alone and then you realize later on that there were people around you who were all queer and you were like that's fucking annoying yeah (laughs) because you never knew each other and you could have been there for each other but instead you were all depressed separately yeah i think being queer is such like a weird like mix of like it being such a deeply personal unique thing but also being something that's so public yeah but so public and so political at the same time yeah because it's like i didn't come out like I haven't come out to my extended family because I don't like any of them. Mm-hmm. But it's also one of those things where I know they're going to make a big deal out of it. And mm-hmm. then they're going to do the whole, like, well, why didn't you come out earlier your family? And I'm like, one, I don't know my coming out story to anyone. Two, you shouldn't have assumed that I was heterosexual or cisgender from the get-go. That's not any of my problem. Three, don't you think if you had been better people to me when I was younger, I would have already felt safe? So, like, why is the default I have to come to you when I don't even know whether or not how you guys are going to react to me, you know? So it's just, like, one of those things where I'm just, like, I have better things to do than to cater to you guys feeling like good people. Because me coming out isn't about you feeling good. It's about me feeling safe. So, like, I'm not going to come out to you guys until I know that I'm 100% safe. Because, like, I came out to my mom because I was, like, my mom loves me. She will support me. She'd probably get in a bar fight for me. Whereas, like, with my other family, I'm just, like, you guys think I'm a drug dealer? Which there's nothing wrong with that because, like, capitalism is evil. So, like, people have to resort to certain things. But Mm -hmm. it's also one of those things where I'm just, like, you think so lowly of me in general that, like, y'all didn't think I was going to get into university or, like, to go and do anything with my life. So I was kind of, like, you know what? I don't know. Y'all shit. (laughs) Yeah. Also, that's just a crazy thing because you're genuinely one of the smartest people I've ever met. So. My family's Um, wild. Okay. So, um... We already kind of hit this question a little bit, but 
How has your experience differed and what has it been like both at school and at home as being um, a non-binary, lesbian-identifying, queer individual? Um, so, like, here at school, it's, like, it's a little, it's odd because um, on a daily basis, there are, like, there are points in a classroom where I feel the need to clarify statements. Like, the other day I did it in, like, philosophy class. Like, as a joke, like, because I was saying something, because I was explaining why people who are conservative, what they would say to a gay person and what they think of gay people. And I prefaced my statement. I was like, as a lesbian, like, I don't believe any or condone this. I just know this is what people have said to me. And it's, like, one of those moments where it's, like, I don't know. As, like, a queer person in, like, higher education, it becomes, like, this thing where, like, people expect you to say things and I've said this before about being like brown in general in academia is that there's always this assumption that I'm going to be like an educator in a room and the next second I'm going to be asked to be the activist and then they want me to be a victim and then they want me to be a survivor and then they want me to do it all over again in a circle and so like with being like a queer like non-binary lesbian it's like one of those moments where like I don't know like I'm constantly coming out to like do things or to say things in like classrooms and it's not that I don't think because there's a certain veil of like anonymity people aren't gonna walk up to me after class and be like I think being a dyke is wrong like no one's gonna fucking do that because they know I roundhouse kick them in the face <laughs> but it's like one of those things where it's just like here it's kind of like it's not a social it's like it's one of those things that I'm choosing to do I'm choosing to make you think about who you are in this moment because the second when somebody comes out you're not thinking about them you're thinking about yourself mm -hmm. so your first thought when someone comes out is oh i'm straight or oh i'm bi and it's like one of those things where like when somebody comes up with the hey i'm not straight and i you might have thought i was straight or cis and now that i've told you that i'm not i'm making you reevaluate okay why did i think these things or what is my position in terms to you because like life is about relationships and so that's kind of like here at school it's, it's also the fact that i'm a lot more open like i'm out here like way more openly and it's also the fact that i do a lot of activism on campus i'm on e-boards i do a, like a bunch of work in like the history department and like that kind of thing so it's like i have support and everything and there are people who i consider authority figures who are behind me and know everything about me essentially um whereas like at home it's like only a couple people know that i'm like a lesbian like the non-binary thing is like basically only my mom and like my friend tammy and i don't really like advertise that a lot because like a lot of my family members I know would make like a big deal out of it or like talk to my mom about it or like try to like ask me questions about it and I'm kind of like at that point in my life where I'm like I'm 20 I don't have to talk to you and I don't really need to describe what my experiences are being like a non-binary lesbian in Texas are <laughs> um so like I don't know it's like one of those things where at home it's a little more stifling but it's also kind of funny because like I've been out for so long that it's just one of those things where like when I'm not out to people it's like they assume that I'm going to be straight or cis so I'm like there's no point in me coming out to you because it's going to be this whole fanfare and then you're going to apologize or like do something fucky or I'm going to find out that you're fucking a homophobe or like that you're transphobic or something and I'm like it's not worth it like my safety is not worth it yeah and in general like I don't feel the need to simply because it's like it's kind of like I don't know, people not knowing, it's kind of nice for me, because I'm kind of like, you don't get that piece of me, you don't get to know that part of me, because, like, you've done nothing to deserve that part of me, so you don't get all of me, you just get part of me, and that's, like, what you deserve, because, like, we're not friends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, I think, like, obviously, like, everyone, like, wears a bunch of masks, and, like, yeah. has different faces, but I think there's, like, such a unique experience in being queer, and having so many different masks, because, like, personally like at home like I'm closeted but here I'm out but in my classrooms I'm like kind of closeted like and then That's in my organizations yeah and classrooms it's like for me at least the way I feel is I'm not precisely in a closet but it's kind of like if you got rid of closet doors and instead put in front of them like beaded curtains you can't really see inside the closet but there's like a like a you know there's something in there yeah but you're never gonna say 
and other people are just kind of like well like some people get really uncomfortable when I do it in class when I just say like oh I'm a lesbian or like as a not sometimes I'll even say like as a brown queer non-binary person I don't I feel uncomfortable with certain discussions or I'll say like as a queer non-binary person like I don't understand why you would say that like I don't understand like why this is happening or like I'll qual like again like with the whole qualifying statements but it's also just one of those moments where I'm like I'm making you aware of my identity and the mm -hmm. fact that you the things you say have effects on other people mm -hmm. which is kind of why I don't know it's like gotten to the point where I don't know making people uncomfortable is kind of my specialty and I think that's just because living in Texas like there's no other way to exist than making people uncomfortable so there's a certain level of just like I'm very used to being around people who are just like like constantly just like why would you say that why are you being embarrassing why are you being loud and I'm like because there could be someone in the room who like wants to say something but knows that if they say something that could clue someone in and I'm like I don't give a fuck who knows that I'm gay here I'm just kind of like I know none of y'all are gonna like walk up to me this is none of your business mm -hmm. you know so I don't know it's really weird classrooms are just um weird places to exist in on this campus <laughs> yeah I also think the point you just made of like being told like to be quiet or you're being embarrassing but feeling the need to speak because there's probably someone else closeted there is also again like such like it's like something that I feel like our like cis hetero People counterparts wouldn't yeah they don't even understand like that. understand yeah I think being like just existing as a queer person is it's just like anytime I think about like existing as like a cis straight person like I like I get nervous yeah I can't do it it's gone to the point where sometimes like I don't even, like, consider it sometimes, and mm -hmm. I forget that cisgender is, like, the norm. Yeah. So I just be existing, and then I say, oh, I'm non-binary, and someone's just like, I've never heard of that, and I'm like... And then I remember, I kind of exist in this bubble where, like, I've said this before, I don't... I'm not friends with a bunch of people who would, like, disagree. Like, I have a very, like, prickly exterior in that. Like, I don't let people who are going to annoy me or, like, say something wrong to me or say something rude to me, like, within my circle. Because there are plenty of more people who I am friends with who are a lot more vulnerable than I am, personally. Because mm -hmm. I'm brown, but, like, I, my best friend is, like, a black non-binary bi person. And I was like, I'm not going to expose them to a possible, like, like white supremacist or Nazi or something. Not saying that I know any, but it's, yeah, like, yeah. one of those things where it's just, like, even an inkling of, like... That I'm like, I'm not doing that to myself. Like, I'm worth so much more than feeling uncomfortable because I want someone to be my friend or be a better person. It's not my job as, a, like, a brown, like, non-binary lesbian to teach you to be a good person. I'm not your character development. Go read an article. Like, learn some empathy. Get a job. Suck some dick. Like, I'm tired. <laughs> like, I don't... It's not my job, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just really frustrating when, like, cisgender straight people really do expect, like, a whole, like, lesson in how to be a good person to mm -hmm. a queer person. And I'm like, step one, treat them like a human being not that hard yeah um step two repeat step one until success <laughs> like, yeah literally I don't know it's just really wild because it's one of those things that like I remember like some people like it's kind of like one of those things that's like come up a lot more recently but it's always been there in like active circles is that like empathy isn't something you teach it's something that you kind of like innately kind of have to have from like a very young age and like that's why a lot of the times I don't see the point in debating, like, racists, transphobes, homophobes, anything like that, anti-Semites, like, xenophobes. Like, there's no point, because they already, at the base of it, you're not going to want to fight with someone who doesn't think you're a human being. Yeah. So there's no point in arguing with someone like that, because you're already on different playing fields. Mm -hmm. You're not even playing the same sport, honestly. Yeah. So it's like, it, there's no, it's, you're not the right person for it, because all you're going to do is cause yourself a lot of heartbreak and a lot of, like, in general, just, like, mental pain, lots mm -hmm. of strain. Like, it's not worth it. Yeah. So, I don't know. I've just never been, like, a huge proponent for debating people. So, mm -hmm. I, I, like, I don't bother doing it. 
like it happened at like my dad's like viewing so I was kind of like I'm not debating a white woman about like returning indigenous lands or acknowledging that there's a lot of land that needs to be given back and we need to figure out like what the fuck we're going to be doing because like I don't know it's just one of those things where I'm just like it's not hard to like consider that maybe we should be kinder yeah it's not like I feel like maybe that's like maybe that's me being an optimist or whatever (laughs) but like I feel like the world can always be just a little kinder like I'm an asshole but like you know like it's just one of those things where I'm like it's not hard to be kind or at least consider the fact that like the things you say and the things you do have consequences Mm -hmm. and it's not like one of those just like the your actions have consequences it's Mm -hmm. like if you say something that's racist, someone's going to hear and feel hurt by that. And that's not just hurt, that's also, that's an act of violence. Yeah. You're telling this person you don't deserve to exist because of your skin color, or the way you are raised, or whatever, you know? Like, that's not okay. And, like, people have been killed for less, so mm-hmm. maybe stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. That was all wonderful. Um, I want to talk more about that, but I do want to move us on to this next question. Valid. Um, so you're involved in a host of different... I wrote LGBTQIA+, but I'm just going to use the word queer, organizations around campus. Uh, What is that like? Um, It's really hard. Well, it's not hard, but it's, like, it's different. Because I've been doing it since my freshman year. This is actually the first year where I'm only on one e-board. Or technically two. I can't imagine you only on one (laughs) e-board. I have so much free time. Um, And it's kind of spooky. I'm happy for you. You deserve it. Yeah, no, because I've been doing this since, like, my first semester freshman year, Mm -hmm. so I'm kind of like, ooh, I'm in retirement. Like, I'm in (laughs) sub-retirement. Like, I took time off. But it's also, like, when I was doing it, it was really stressful because there was always something else to be doing. There was always a meeting I had to be at. And it was also just, like, I became, like, there was just a bunch of kids who will come up to you because they know your face because you're at everything. Mm -hmm. So they're just like, wait, do you know how to report a professor? Wait, how do I explain this to my friend? Wait, my friend's having, like, a sexuality crisis. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, y'all be going through it, you Mm -hmm. know? And this is one of those things where it's, like, I don't know, like, so, like, there's this, um, theory in queer theory about time, and it's that queer people hit those milestones in life, like, um, start dating, have sex, go to school, make friends, get married, have a kid, get a job, or whatever, like, in whatever order you go in. And it's been found that, like, queer individuals go through those things at a later stage in life, mm-hmm. simply because, like, so, like, it's, it's at that point where it's just, like, someone who's 14 can technically be a queer elder, not a queer elder, but, like, they can be, like, a trans person who's been trans for longer than some people are. Yeah. You know? And, like, yeah. as a 20-year-old, like, as a 20-year-old brown queer lesbian, it's one of those moments where I'm realizing, a brown non-binary lesbian, I forgot that I was non-binary, and we love that, um, but, <laughs> that's like... Being queer, that's being queer in the nutshell, like, that's how it is, it just be like that, but, um... It's, like, one of those moments where I'm 20 and I'm realizing that, like, I was never supposed to make it this far because there are so many people in my demographic that just die. More so, like, black trans women are dying everywhere. And it's just one of those things where some of my friends are, like, black women, black trans women. And I know black trans women. Like, I follow so many on, like, activists on Twitter, like, that you just know. And, like, it's a community thing where it's just, like, I'm realizing that, like, I'm having, like, a queer midlife crisis. Because mm-hmm. I'm technically, like, within some circles, like, I'm the oldest gay person some people know. Yeah. And I'm, like, oh, my God. Yeah. Because, like, yes, queer elders still exist, but it's also the fact that in the 80s and 90s, like, the AIDS crisis wiped out so many so people. So many, yeah. And it's also the fact that, like, a lot of queer, young queer people just don't, can't get it, can't understand that, like, older queer people exist. Mm-hmm. I've been using our language for years, and you just don't want to talk to them because you're under this assumption that, like, all older queer people are, like, all old people are conservatives. And I'm like, you better remember where this community came from. Mm-hmm. Like, you better pay your respects because that's disrespectful to our history and to the people who are still alive today. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that all old queer people, like, are good. Yeah, For yeah, example, yeah. Pete Buttigieg. Why does he <laughs> yeah, exist? Yeah, literally. Um, but 
it's one of those things where like with time like here it's like one of those things where I'm just like coming to terms with the fact that I'm a lot older than I thought I would be mm-hmm. and now I have like a life ahead of me yeah and I'm like oh like time is happening yeah like, it's I'm actively having to sit here and be like what is yeah like why are people here and so like I don't know that kind of plays into just me being on all these e-boards being like a peer mentor and everything is that like people ask me for advice and like they mean it in all seriousness and they're like nice about it and they're just like like last night I ended up explaining like non-binary identities to someone and how gender is like a spectrum but not like with extremes rather than it's like one of those like color wheel things that you can just pick because mm-hmm. everyone's gender like the color green for one person is not going to be like like your favorite color green is not the same as somebody else's favorite color green you know Mm -hmm. so everyone has their own definition that goes with their gender and it really like the only thing in common that some people have about like certain things is that like how we label ourselves and that's not a bad thing sometimes my definition of non-binary is the exact same as someone's definition of gender fluid so it's like one of those things where it's like okay yeah that's fine it doesn't have any bearing on my definition of non-binary it's just the fact that hey this is like a label that we both use this is really cool but it's just one of those things where I'm realizing that, like, oof, people are asking me questions, and, like, I actually have answers, and then I'm like, ooh, when did I learn these things? Yeah. Who taught me these things? Who is this imposter? <laughs> I don't know. A lot of just being, like, older and, like, being 20 and queer is that, like, a lot of imposter syndrome of just, like, oh, my God, I'm in college, you know? I don't know. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, that's, it's... Yeah, just the fact that when, like, you think about it, like, the whole queer elders point is, like, yeah, they're out there, but, like, like, ev- like every adult I know, save for, like, five, are, like, cis straight people. Like, cis straight white people, too. And it's, like... And it's sad. Yeah, it's, like, I didn't even, personally, like, I didn't come to terms with my, like, sexuality until my second semester of, co- for, of freshman year. So, it is crazy to think that, like like, age almost has no, like... It has no meaning. Yeah, it, it has, has no meaning. meaning in general. Yeah, in general, but, like, especially in the queer community when, like, like you said, like, a 14-year-old, like, trans person might have been trans longer than, like, like a 60-year-old or trans tra- person. transitioning longer than, like, say, like, a 30-year-old trans woman who's in her first year of HRT. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Versus a 14-year-old who's been, like, on hormonal suppressants for however many, yeah. however many years and is starting HRT, might yeah. be getting, like, surgery or, or like, a gender confirmation surgery or whatever they plan on doing mm-hmm. for their gender identity. Maybe not even transitioning. They've just been trans for a really long time. So it's, like, one of those things where it's just, like, it's not even to... That's why I don't do comparatives. I'm just kind of, like, there's no point. Like, there's... I, you can't compare one person's experience to another. You yeah. can draw relationships to each other because, like life is about relationships but it's just one of those things where I'm just like wow like we really are just out here and like time doesn't mean shit um because like especially for like queer people it's like if you don't see it you don't know that you can be it yeah yeah so like if I I didn't I didn't know that I could be like like the only reason I knew I could be queer is because I was incredibly online also because I was super depressed so I was always on my phone yeah in middle school and I was always online and I like I was, like, one of those people who was just, like, oh, my God, brown people can be, like, gay. Mm-hmm. Like, brown people can be non-binary. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, there are, like, these things out here that have words and meanings that I can relate to. Hold on a second. So it's, like, one of those things where it's, like, the second you realize that you are not only allowed but encouraged to explore your identity and, like, find something outside, like, and have something outside of that sometimes, it helps. It genuinely helps. And it's one of those moments where you're just, like, wow, I'm allowed to exist the way I want to. Um, and I deserve to do that in a safe place. And I think that's just really sad that, like, I'm, like, one of the only queer people that some little kids meet. Like, I remember that I was talking to, like, one of my friends, and she was, like, um, because she really wants to have kids, and she was, she was, like, talking to me, and I was just, like, 
I don't know, I really want to be there in, like, some kids' lives, just because, like, it's one of those moments where it's just, like, little kids, when they find out that I'm, like, gay or something, like, they're not mean about it, Mm -hmm. unless, like, their parents have taught them to be mean about it. It's one of those, like, what does that mean? Like, why do you only like women, or why don't you like men? And it's, like, I'm just the way I am. Yeah. I just like men. Or I just, mm mm-hmm, I just, like, I just don't like men. Like, that's just how it be. Like, Mm -hmm. I, (laughs) I don't know. It's just, I like it, because, like, there's that point where, like, kids look at you, and they're just, like, wow. Like, I can, I can grow up and be like that. It's not mm-hmm. all depressing and stuff. Because you never get to hear about the happy things as a queer young person. It's always, like, sad-ass stories. Like, for, I'm from Texas. I'm from the South. I grew up in the Bible Belt. So it's, like, one of those moments where it's just, like, when I was younger, like, my biggest fear was a hate crime. Yeah. I was terrified. Like, it's, I still am. It's why it took so long for me to come out as a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Is that, like, in Texas, I was always so fucking scared of, like, someone finding out and someone killing me. It's not that I was in the closet at the time. It's just that, like, the second I enter a public queer relationship, I'm in trouble. Mm -hmm. Like, someone's going to kill me. And Mm -hmm. it was one of those things where it's, like, in Oakland, the neighborhood of Dallas, there were hate crimes all over. And the DPD didn't do anything. Dallas Police Department didn't do shit. And it was the scariest thing on the planet. And my mom bought me pepper spray. She had never wanted me to have a weapon ever in my life. And then she, like, I have friends who lived in Oakland. She was just like, we're buying you pepper spray. And I was like, why? And she was just like, I don't want you getting killed. Yeah. I don't want you getting attacked. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those moments where it's just like, oh, shit, this is real. Like, mm-hmm. I, the way I exist, the way I am, is some people wish I didn't. Yeah. You know? And it's one yeah. of those things where I'm just like, wow. Mm, yeah, ultimately, ultimately being queer is, like... It's dangerous, which well, is horrible. Fair. Yeah. It's not even dangerous to be queer. It's dangerous that people, people make it dangerous to yeah, be queer. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. yeah. Exactly. No, no, no. No, yeah, wonderful wording. Um, okay, um, a follow-up question I have is, do you think being involved in so many queer organizations, do you think that has helped shape your identity in any way as a queer person? I think it's definitely helped me shape the way I think of my identity and the way I feel about myself and my community because specifically as a brown person a lot of queer media is very white mm-hmm. and that's like annoying because like I'm brown so obviously I'm like I can't relate mm-hmm. but being in like cutie pox specifically it's one of those things where like I've made friends with people who are non-binary yeah two of my best friends are non-binary yeah and it's also one of those things where it's also just, like, one of those moments where, like, you realize, oh, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Like, it's that, I don't know, like, I had, like, my moment, like, in Cutie Pock, I think, like, sophomore year, where I was, like, we were doing our introductions and we wanted to say, like, why did you join Cutie Pock or what's something that you really love about Cutie Pock? Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, like, I don't know, this is one of the first times I've ever felt not alone in a room. And I understand that everyone here knows what I'm talking about when I talk about being queer and trans. And, like, wanting to date girls, not wanting to date boys, the way I dress, how I perceive myself, how others perceive me. It's one of those moments where, like, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm not alone, you know? And I think that's, like, one of the main things is that it's made me a better activist because it's one of those things where, like, when I need help, I ask for it. When I want to do something, I ask for help. Or if I ever have a hard time, I always have someone that I can reach out to because I was in these queer clubs. And I, I love that I can do that because, like, there, it's, I don't know, it's like that one moment where like everyone feels like you know how like when you're younger and you just feel like you're shouting into a void and I'm like there's someone out there who's literally trying to shout back that's not an echo that you're hearing it's somebody trying to shout back and it's just like really really sad that people don't get that until like they get a little older until they're surrounded by all this love and then they're like oh okay 
like I didn't I don't have to do this alone people want you to think you're doing it alone mm-hmm. but in reality like you're there's no way you're the only gay person in the world you yeah, know exactly. like it's one of those things like at the end of the day it's kind of like a vain thing it's just like I'm the only gay person in the world stop 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 where yeah. it's like no you're not there are plenty of other queers around you I promise <laughs> like they're just you know it's hard it's really hard finding them because it's like they want you to think that everyone's alone but it's yeah. like not true that's such bullshit um do you think that your queerness has affected your relationships with professors in any way or has it affected your academic career in any way um so sorry i really like this apple that's okay um, i think i'm really lucky not well that was just me bring me tissue to wrap this apple up but um i think i'm really lucky and that a lot of my professors are super accepting. And they're not just accepting. They're, like, they're very, they're kind of protective about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just because I'm in the history department. And a lot of my professors are super, like, they're super leftist. <laughs> yeah. And they're also just good people. Yeah. They're very empathetic people. As history. Yeah, professors history often professors are. Professors also often are. And so, like, I don't think it's affecting me academically too bad. Um, or at all, really. If anything, it's given me kind of, like, a weird edge because there are things that people don't bother thinking about in certain mm-hmm. classes. Like, I think in, at one point I was, like, explaining something and I was just like, um, well, you know, like, lesbian is kind of a political identity in certain places. And, like, yeah. there used to be a huge, like, queer Palestinian population. Like, for example, I was in a class and I was explaining there used to be a really big Palestinian queer population. But then there wasn't. And the reason is because Israelis would find out if Palestinians were gay and would say, okay, we're going to out you, or you can snitch on your friends in the PLO for us. And, like, the PLO, the BDS, or whatever, like, if any of your friends are activists, like, we want you to snitch on them. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really sad, and it reflects negatively, because Palestine was figuring it out, and they were just, like, queer individuals were being turned against the government, which, obviously, like, there are other reasons as to why a certain law, like, so, like, Palestine then puts in, like, this law that basically said any and all gay or homosexual activity, like, lesbian and homosexual activity is banned. Which is, like, there are other things that went into that. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, you still have, like, some people who are pretty conservative, some people who are homophobic, obviously. But it's also one of those moments where you're realizing, like, that perspective, like, I knew, like, it was one of those things where I was, like, a lot of people in the room were, like, well, you know, like, there are conservatives in Palestine, like, it's not a utopia, obviously, I mean, like, you know? But I was kind of, like, well, there's also the fact that, like, you know, gay and lesbian gay lesbian and trans palestinians were told to turn against their government and their friends that could have played into it too i'm not saying that it did like i don't know anything but like it's one of those things where i'm just like being queer and trans kind of gives you a little perspective shift on it where you're always thinking about one or two more things than everyone else yeah so i think that kind of gave me an edge which like i don't know if that's good or bad it's like one of those things where it's just like wow i'm intensely depressed all the time about the state of the world and affairs because like i feel this relationship to queer and trans people everywhere yeah but it's also one of those things where I'm just like, I'm the only one in the room sometimes thinking about it. Yeah. Which makes me kind of sad, too, because I'm just like, you should be thinking about people even though it's not you. Yeah, you know? I think, yeah, I think queer people are often more empathetic than... Yeah, it's just, it's just you're always thinking about yeah. other people, because you, you want other people to be, you know other people are thinking about you, which is, again, goes towards the, like, you're not alone. Like, mm-hmm. there's never, like, I don't know. Yeah, you never, yeah. Um, I have three more questions I want to hit. Yeah. Um, so do you plan on pursuing a career in academia or higher education? Yes, I actually, um, I'm applying for a Fulbright 
soon-ish. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm scared. I have to, like, fill out all this paper. You're literally so scared. scared. I have to email someone about it, actually, today, um, to ask him. You're like, hello, what are the timelines on this? Um, yeah. But I also want to go to grad school really badly, um, just because I, like, um, first of all, because nobody does what I do, um, which is, like, kind of the best part about being a history major who is brown, queer, who is a brown, non-binary, queer lesbian, is that nobody studies the same shit you do <laughs> nine times out of ten, so somebody always wants you in their grad program. Yeah. Um, so, like, I, like... It's just, like, it's more fun. And it's also, what the hell else am I going to do with a double history-religion major and, a, like, a long line of as- activist work? What am I going to do with that? Absolutely nothing other than academia or activism, which is kind of, like, I want to do both. Yeah. Because I'm just, like, I don't get the point of academia if it's not accessible and if, like, you're not working with a community. Like, like theory, like, practice, like, like, if you don't, like, it's actually, I think it's a Fred Hampton quote. And he was the leader of the Black Panthers that, um, uh, that was killed because they were just like oh no um this man is uniting all of these different people together and they're all realizing that white men keep them oppressed mm-hmm. we must kill him um he was like the leader of the black panther party at the time and he like uh in it was in the north i never remember the city because i'm really really bad at cities mm-hmm. um but he said like theory without or is it practice without theory is you or no theory without practice is useless essentially Mm -hmm. so if you don't take what you learn and then use it actively you're screwed and on the other hand it's like if you do anything like again he talks about like if you do practice activism and have zero theory behind it you're like it's useless Mm -hmm. there's no point you at the base of it you don't know what you're doing Mm because all you're doing is doing you need to always be like aware and it's i don't see the point in making in being in academia and making inaccessible and like just doing it from behind the scenes like i don't see the point in that i want to be at the, I want to be able to share what I know in a way that other people can use it rather than like hoity-toity language or just like presuppositions or whatever. Like I want to be able to sit there and be like, this is how we can, this is how we use this in grassroots, which is like a lot of activists are doing this nowadays. Yeah. Like they've been doing it, you know, like the best theorists we've had were also grassroots activists. Yeah. So, um, I just, I kind of want to be there and like be able to like bridge that gap, not just for myself. Like obviously I'm not the first person to do this, but it's like one of those things where I'm just like, I feel like. Um, we just need to continue that tradition, and I really wanted like be able to do that with like my education, because like if I can't use my education to help better other people's lives, like what's the point of mm-hmm. learning all this shit and paying all this money and going to a job? Like I don't get it. Like if you're not doing anything for your community, then what are you doing? You know? Yeah. Um. Okay. So, what does the word queer mean to you? Oh, God. Okay, so this is actually kind of, like, a funny story. Um, I was in, like, fourth grade. I read the word queer for the first time, and I didn't know what it meant because my parents both, like, don't speak English as their first language. Mm -hmm. So slurs to them, like, we never, like, they never covered, like, the whole, they didn't do the whole, like, English-speaking gamut of, like, these are slurs and Mm -hmm. this is what we call gay people because neither of my parents were surprisingly homophobic, at least not, like, overtly. You know, like, my mom grew up around drag queens all the time, and my dad, I don't think he knew, I don't think he really got what gay people were. He was kind of like, why don't they date women? And I'm like, some of them do. And he's just like, yes, but they're also women. And I'm like, not all the time, but okay. Um, it was, uh, I learned, I saw it and I was like, what does this word mean? I like this word. And I found out that I meant strange. Because in the dictionary, they don't say that it's a slur. Um, yeah, that's true. And so I like, I had said it, I think, to like a librarian. And I was just like, oh, I'm very queer. And they were like, and I, I didn't get it. I was like, oh, it's just a word that means strange or odd, like mm-hmm. out of place. And then I didn't know that it was a slur until like five years later. <laughs> and I was like, I was straight booling. I had no idea. 
And then I find out that it's a slur, and I was like, I have been calling myself queer since before I knew I was really queer. This is, like, wild. And so, I don't know, to me, queer just means, I think it was the first time I'd ever described myself and felt like I was being honest. And I felt like, oh, like, I can be this thing. Like, this is something I'm allowed to be, which is, like, outside of normal or something that's just a little out of place or a little strange. And I'm like, well, I'm a little out of place and strange because, you know, I'm quirky. But it was also one of those things where I was just like, I don't know, like, this is the word that fits. And then later on, I find out that it means, like, you know, you're gay. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Like, I clocked myself. I suppose. (laughs) I outed myself without knowing it. So we booling. But, yeah, I don't know. It just means that, like. Queer, I think, is, like, the first time I've ever described myself, and I was just like, yep, that fits, 100%. I don't know. Queer feels like what I was looking for at the time, which was a a place to belong, and now I'm like, okay, that's, like, where I am. Queer is always the identity that I'm just kind of going to carry with myself for the rest of forever, I think. Um, right, and my final question is, what does being queer mean to you? Oh, God, um... Ooh, okay, so I talk about this, like, I think I, somebody asked me a question very similar to this, like, the other week, or, like, a month ago, and I still remember, like, my response was very much, like, showing up for each other, like, being queer for me means, like, I'm not in it alone, again, like, other people use these labels that I use, but it's also one of those things where it's just, like, I'm here for my community, I'm here, like, I want to show up for my community, because I want some, because I know people show up for me, you know, so it's one of those things where it's just, like, yeah, maybe it's a little selfish in the end of the day, where I'm just, like, I want people to show up for me, but it's also, like, I want to show up for people who have never had anyone show up for them because I know how much that means to have someone show up and be like, no, I I support you 100% and I know you completely. Like even people who don't know me show up because they find out that I'm gay or like that I'm queer or lesbian and they're just like, I've always wanted to see like someone who was like me do the things that you're doing. And it's one of those things where I'm just like, it's incredibly important to show up for each other. And I think queer for me, being queer is like about like community. It's about like coming to terms not even coming to terms like being myself and all that I can be and also making sure that I am doing good or like Mm -hmm. not even doing good but like I actually this is something that I remember like it's one of my favorite points in like philosophy and like the like in morality and like what you do and how you choose to do it it's like an h-bomber guy um thing he did an xoxo talk about how he managed to raise how he helped create a platform essentially for trans activists to organize and like raise a ridiculous like three hundred fifty thousand dollars or something for the UK um, foundation, Mermaids, which helps, like, displace trans people, mm-hmm. or trans children specifically, in the UK. And he talked about how, like, um, his name is Harry, I think. Harry talks, and he said, um, this is something that I learned, and I think that there's a big difference between the two, and it's that sometimes you choose between, whether you know it or not, subconsciously or consciously, you choose between making life a lot harder for someone you don't like, or making life a lot easier for someone that you like, and that you love. Um, and I was like, yeah, no. And I was just like, I kind of want to live by that is that I want to live a life where I'm not choosing to do things because I hate like I out of spite, you know, like it spite can get you far. Spite got me through my third year at Hofstra, you know, but it's also one of those things where like, I want to be able to make life easier for someone that loves me and Mm -hmm. that I love Mm -hmm. and that someone who doesn't know that they can be loved yet. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like the most important thing is that like making sure that I'm making life easier for someone that I like who deserves it, you know? Cause like, I, I don't know. I just really like that idea that like being queer means that like you have a community, you're not alone, but being alone, being not alone also means that you need to show up for each other too. Yeah. It's, it's kind of an act of like, bravery loyalty and like choosing to be like okay this is who I am and even if like you're not in the even if you're in the closet or if like um 
I don't know, like, if you're not completely out to everyone, like, it's important to, like, understand that, like, I need to find a way to show up. Mm -hmm. I need to find a way to, like, show up, show out, Mm -hmm. somehow protect these people, defend these people, do what I can from where I am, you Mm -hmm. know? Like, as long as you're still safe. But it's, like, one of those things where I think it's just important to understand that there's always something that you can do. There's got to be something that you can do. There's always something. So, yeah, that's what being queer means to me. It also means that I'm gay. (laughs) (laughs) And there it is. (laughs) And there it is. Um, well, thank you so much, Rosario. Yeah, this was fun. As always, you are the most intelligent person in every room you've ever been in, and I'm obsessed with you. I think you're wrong about that, but okay. Um, no, I'm literally so right. <laughs> um, yes. We vibing. I would like to do another quick disclaimer before I begin this next interview. Rebecca Levine is my aunt, so that changes the way we talk and stuff like that. Also, I have a computer older than time, so please, please, please forgive the fan, because the only way we could figure out how to talk was through FaceTime on my computer. Rebecca Levine is a graduate of the University of Iowa with a Bachelor of Arts in Social Work. She's also a graduate of Boston College with a Master's of Social Work. She served as the Director of Operations and Youth Services for the Town of Winchester for 18 years before taking a position as Program Manager for the Citywide Initiative of Our Salem, Our Children. Rebecca now works at Salem State University as a Field Placement Specialist in the School of Social Work. Rebecca's pronouns are she, her. So, let's start. Okay. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what do you identify as personally within the queer community? Bisexual. Nice. Um, when did you first come out? Um, when I was 25, I think. Who did... Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say, like, who, like, you know, any, like circumstances or whatever um so i i guess i mean i was older um and i felt like um i'm trying to think of the um i'm doing a terrible job of interview um (laughs) so um, I was 25. I had, um, started dating someone and, um, I was like, once I, once I sort of identified my own sexuality, um, and really felt comfortable, um, then I didn't tell anyone and felt like, um, like I just really kept that, kept that part of me to myself um didn't tell anybody in my family didn't talk about it um and then I started dating someone and when she and I I think you know then I was sort of like um gosh um actually you know what your I think your parents knew maybe can't remember the timeline now. This is terrible. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Um, um, so I was dating this woman, and um, and then I decided. Oh, I know what it was. So I was dating this woman, and um, she. 
I had I was living back at home finishing grad school. I was living back at home with Mimi and Grampy and um, most of the time I would stay over I would like stay at her apartment. Um, and but I was working this part time job on the weekends. Um, and anyway, she she went with me to help I was running this youth program, surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, and um, and she was, she was, she came to help out at the youth program, um, and then we just went back to my house um, to stay to spend the night. And um, I, I remember telling Mimi, and um, and her. Her only response late because Valerie had like slept, spent the night, and I, you know, had her like sleep in a different bedroom or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up shortly thereafter. I was like, "This is ridiculous that I'm like being like this is my friend," you know. Yeah. And you know, I was like spending many nights at her apartment, and you know, speaking of her as if she was just my friend, kind of thing, and mm-hmm. it felt really weird. And I was like, hello, I'm a grown-up, I'm 25 years old, like, why am I lying about this? And so I decided to tell Mimi and Grampy, and um, I went to tell Mimi, and her only response was, so does that mean you're sleeping with Valerie? I could think was, so previously I had had the same boyfriend for six years oh my god six years we we dated like from the time i was 19 until up you know till i finally broke up with him um and then shortly after that realized that all of the time that i had been like envisioning that i would be married to him but would have a girlfriend on the side (laughs) that relationship with with this with this other person never and I spent like we went away on vacation together and I spent you know plenty of time in his apartment and whatever never once did Mimi ever ask if I was having sex with him but when I came out to her her only response was so you're sleeping with that person and I was like you understand that sexuality isn't just about who you're having sex with (laughs) right but no, she did not understand that. Um, and then I went and told Grampy, and his only response was, um, <laughs> like, okay, does, does it make you happy? You know I'm not going to go marching in any, any parades, right? And... And then to this day, I still don't know what this means, but he asked me if it, if, if that meant that I was going to start wearing my hats that way. <laughs> you know, like, obviously, even at 25, I was still like, oh gosh, I have to like actually come out to my parents, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I came out to, um, your, your 
dad and your mom, and they were both cool, and, like, they knew um, my girlfriend, and we actually, like, would dog sit for them. (laughs) And obviously your mom was, like, even if your dad wasn't, like, incredibly cool, like, your mom made him be really cool. And I told her, and she was very, like, and I, I, to be honest, I thought, like, she would be the best. You know, I'm like, she's my sister. She's going to be great. She's going to be supportive no matter what, you know. And she was really, um, kind of made it all about her, <laughs> not surprisingly. Um, you know, like, apparently she had some sort of, like, fantasy that, you know, we were going to grow up and, like, get married to men that were best friends with each other and lived next door to each other in the suburbs. And, like, none of that was ever going to happen. Yeah, I can't imagine that at all. Right? Um, But it sort of, like, messed with her whole little, like, sitcom vision of what our relationship was supposed to be. Um, and, um, And that was really... I don't know, that that might have been, like, the hardest one for me, because I was like, wait, why is my sister not just, okay. like, being happy for me that yeah. I'm happy? Yeah, because you're still sisters, right? Yeah. Um, so that one was, that, that one was, was surprising. Um, you know, Mimi was harsh, but it was kind of to be expected. Yeah, that's, yeah, I feel like the biggest, scariest thing is coming out to, like, your parents or, like, your aunts and uncles or, like, your grandparents. And then, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like that's, like, coming out to, like, your friends and, like, your brothers and your cousins or whatever is, like, yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah, so... I think because you expect, like, people that are closer in your age to just be, like, cool and happy for you and more forward-thinking and progressive and liberal and, you know, whatever... And, like, everybody in our family is pretty, like, fairly forward-thinking and liberal and, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, but then there's some of those just, like, kind of small, not even small town, just, like, suburban, mm-hmm. traditional, like, oh, this is the way it's supposed to be, or, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, wait, what? Yeah. What do you mean you're not just like, yay, you're happy, so I'm happy yeah. for you, you know? Yeah. Um, and coming out is obviously a weird thing anyways, um, because, like, you only have to do it if you're not straight, but, like, <laughs> it's just, like, the fact that, like, I feel like every step of the way, like, something just makes it more difficult, you know? Uh-huh. Like, when I came out to Nicholas, it's because um, he got a <laughs> stick-and-poke tattoo of Chick-fil-A, um, which is now he faded. He, it's faded now because he did it himself. But I was like, I was like, I was like, Nicholas, are you kidding me? He's like, what? And then I was like, I was like, that's Chick-fil-A. Like, they're really homophobic. And then he was like, yeah, so, like, whatever. And I was like, I was like, well, I'm gay, so it's, like, directly affecting me. He was like, what? He's like, well, well it'll fade, it'll fade, it'll fade. Like that. <laughs> but it was just his concern was, like, immediately, like, uh-oh. And then when I came out to Benjamin, he was like, yeah, Isabel told me. So I still don't know how she knew before him, but, um, but it's also a weird thing. Is like, I feel like coming out also super warps 
like, somehow, for some reason, warps everyone's perception of you. Like, like you said, like, with Auntie Steny, like, not being able to live that suburban dream, like, which, like, obviously, I know you and you would never, like, live in the suburbs or whatever, but, like, you could still, like, like, you could still live that suburban dream just, like, with a woman, but, like, immediately she was like, if it's not gonna be a man, it's not gonna happen. Like, nothing else about your character was like, this will never happen, but then you came out as gay, it's like, this can't possibly happen. Right. Right. And it was so funny, because I was like, dude, have you met me? Like, (laughs) there's nothing about me that says I want to live in, like, a generic house in the suburbs. Yeah. Right? Like, nothing. There's, like, nothing has ever said that that's, like, what I want for my life. Yeah. But, like, you could, I could have that and be married to a woman. A woman, yeah. And, like, yeah. You know, it was so, yeah, like, I was like, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And you it is weird. so many points. Like, yeah. it doesn't even, don't, I don't even know where to begin with that statement. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just was so funny. I'm like, I'm A, not that person that wants that life. B, like, you know, a person you know, like, I mean, like, Auntie Robin and I are the most, like, literally, we are just, you know, we're, you know, married with two kids and a dog and live in a house with a white picket fence. I mean, literally, like, we are, you know, the most, like, traditional kind of, yeah, like, American, yeah, which is then, like, that's, like, that's, like, the concept of the, like, traditional family is, like, two right. parents, two kids, a dog, a white picket fence, and then you're like, oh, it's two women, and it's like, oh, that's so, like, controversial, that's so, like, different. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's really, really, really not. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, uh, okay, my next question is, um, what has your experience been as, like, an out queer person? And then, like, just, like, some things to think about, um, like, throughout schooling, what's it been like? Because I know you didn't t- come out until grad school. Um, right. As a professional, working, like, with, like, Winchester youth um, groups and stuff, and even working now in higher ed, and then has it differed at all from the experiences of your colleagues and peers? Yeah, I mean, I'd say, um, you know, through my schooling, it had no impact, really. Like, it was, you know, I was in grad school, um, I was in social work grad school, and I was in grad school, like, you know, in a very kind of, like, detached sort of way, like, you know, I mean, grad school in and of itself is sort of detached, like, you're not living on campus, you're not, you know, really necessarily interact, you know, interacting with, with people outside of class, um, you know, at least my grad school experience wasn't like they make it seem on TV, where, like, everybody goes out and gets drunk with each other, you know, after class on Friday night, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, I went to my classes and did my work, but I wasn't really, like, spending time with people other, otherwise, so, um, and then, you know, um, I, but I was definitely, like, trying to meet other, um, I guess I was probably, like, trying to meet other women, um, so I actually, like, the girl that I was dating, I met her at, like, a women's group on campus, um, and, um, and then we, you know, we started hanging out and whatever, but I was trying to get, like, you know, I think there was, like, I think it, it was, like, a, I don't know, 
like it within like a, a women's center on campus they had like a gay women's you know club or something mm-hmm. so I started, I started going to that just to like meet other people because I was sort of um you know just like realizing or you know like recognizing my my sexuality and whatever so I kind of just wanted to like connect with other people that identified as I did um but it was mostly undergrads so it wasn't like you know other people in my program or anything that I got to know um and like this woman Valerie was a senior um and you know so we were like a couple years apart but um and then I guess probably like in my work in Winchester um initially I don't think in Winchester um I don't I'm trying to think back to like if I came out right away or if I just you know it wasn't um I don't think that I was um you know I mean as the youth director like I didn't necessarily feel like I needed to talk about my personal life um you know and like working with high school kids um you know they're sort of obviously you want to create like some sort of appropriate boundaries and you know um so I definitely felt like um you know and I didn't know how conservative of community it was and all of those different things so I don't think I talked about um my um sexual orientation um very much and I also you know like at the beginning I wasn't like in a relationship to necessarily be like oh I'm gonna bring myself you know my partner to uh you know um work event or you know something like that you Mm -hmm. know um but um I'm trying to think of um I do think that there were probably times when um like with kids that I didn't know where I felt like I didn't you know I was probably more guarded Mm -hmm. than um than I was with you know with the kids that I worked with on a regular basis um and um um but like auntie robin used to you know she would come and volunteer at stuff all the time and she would help out at things all the time and i'll never forget um one time one one mom said something to me um one of her 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 youngest son was in my youth group and um she made reference to like you know to her oldest son um being you know like not having a girlfriend or you know something and auntie robin was there and i was like you know that's my girlfriend right (laughs) (laughs) um you know so people like didn't you know i I always kind of joke that like i don't give off a lot of gay um (laughs) so people definitely don't um you know identify me as being gay um and you know oftentimes you know people will like even now like people will be like oh your husband and I'm like yeah so I have a wife you know (laughs) 
assume. Um, but um, I don't know. I feel like there were times that I maybe was more guarded or, um, you know, um, or didn't, um, you know, say things right away. Um, but I think for the most part, I was pretty, um, I was pretty open, you know, and certainly like with, you know, like with the people that I worked with or the people that I worked for, Mm -hmm. I never felt like I had to, um, be closeted. Um, and, um, um. I'm trying to think, you know, I did, I know that, um, I later, like there were certain, you know, different kids over the years that, um, that I worked with who, like one of my kids, um, she, I think her parents like found her, you know, like she'd been searching stuff about, um, I don't know, lesbian culture or something like on their home computer when she was in like seventh grade and basically like very much shut it down and we're just like, we're not going to talk about that. That's not who you are kind of thing. Um, and she was like super closeted, like all the way through high school, um, as a result of that. Um, and, um, and, but at the same time, like, all through high school, like, I was her person. Like, she spent a ton of time. She was, you know, super active in our youth group and just spent a ton of time in my office and, um, you know, would always come to me, good days, bad days, whatever. Like, we spent a lot of time talking. And um, and I think, or she felt like, you know, later when she finally came out, like, officially came out to me, um, which obviously I didn't ever need her to do. Um, but I think she really needed to do, like she finally like went away during her first semester of college and like couldn't wait to come home and like officially like be yeah. able to openly declare that she was gay. Yeah. And, um, and, um, and she was like, always kind of felt like her mom was super resentful of our relationship and like somehow I was going to tell her like make it that it make her feel like it was okay to be gay (laughs) um and I'm now like friends with her mom and I think her mom actually like really appreciated that she had a a queer role model in her Mm -hmm. life even though you know I think they at the time like when she was in seventh grade they just felt like you know I don't know there was some sort of like Catholic guilt or something going on where they were just like you're not ready to know your sexuality yet that's you know Mm -hmm. and I don't know that they realized how that was gonna impact her for the next six years of her life yeah um and you know I really like resented them (laughs) for what they did to her but um but secretly, I think her mom really appreciated that she had me in her life. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was sort of a weird, like, unspoken, weird dynamic that, that we had going on. But, like, I think, um, you know, there were plenty of kids that, 
that always felt like, you know, they knew they could talk to me about anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, um, and I was, um, you know, I certainly wasn't like recruiting anyone, but you know, there, you know, there certainly have, have been, you know, lots of, um, you know, lots of kids in the, you know, in the queer community that kind of like came to my youth center over the years and just like found it to be a really safe, welcoming place. Um, yeah, so, and, I, yeah. and I think that um, a lot of times, or oftentimes, or most times, or almost all the time, um, I think queer people are actively searching for other queer people, even if it's, like, subconsciously. Because I know, like, like, every, like, I don't know, like, it's just, you always want to be with someone who you share something in common with, no matter what. And, like, it's just easier to, like, coexist with people who are having similar experiences to you, too. So I think also, especially because, like, um having, like, queer role models and, like, searching for them, especially on smaller scales and, like, smaller towns, is oftentimes really difficult, um, because, like, you know, like, so much, um, has happened within the queer community and stuff, so I think, I don't know, I think, I obviously had, like, queer role models growing up, like, you and Auntie Robin, um, and I guess on, like, a smaller scale, Uncle Kevin, but, um, I don't know, I think, like, that's an experience that a lot of people crave, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't, like, get to experience. Right. Too, so. And I think, you know, I mean, like, obviously, I mean, you had, like, your drama teachers, and, you know, like, having other people in your life, you know, that, like, made you feel comfortable, and made yeah. you feel accepted, and, you know, even if you weren't gonna, like, put titles to any of it or you know put any labels on yourself like just there's something innate that exists that you know that that we like have in common that just yeah yeah and i feel okay yeah and i think also um yeah that's an experience that a lot of people have now especially i feel like everyone finds out in, like, middle school, and then, like, this is obviously a huge generalization, but I think a lot of people and a lot of my friends were, like, in middle school, like, oh, wait a minute, and then all through high school, we're like, no, 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 and I came to college, and we're like, oh, wait a minute, um, so, yeah, there's also something easier about, obviously, this is, like, an obvious statement, but there's something easier about, like, being yourself or feeling, like, right inside of your bones like when you're surrounded by people who are like you and who are like experiencing the same feelings and who are like wait a minute like I'm happier now because like I'm expressing like my sexuality in this way that I never could at home mm-hmm. um which I could at home I guess I just haven't yet but um yeah okay so I have like two more questions um the first one being what does the word queer mean to you it's like how has your relationship with the word queer evolved and changed over time like both in the personal and professional context you know to be honest i don't think i ever used the word queer until one of my kids who is trans um he came back um after um 
gosh, he he went to college um, and then came out to us as trans, um, which is still like one of the greatest emails I've ever gotten to read. Um, he had like come out to, there was like me, well, I was really privileged to get to like be part of this group, but there were like maybe eight of us that were like sort of part of, you know, like his core people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like all of like, I don't know, his like best friends and me. Um, and he went away to college and then sent us this email and just said like, so, hey guys, want to let you know. And at this point, like he had, you know, I mean, I had known him since he was in like seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, anyway, said, you know, so I want you guys to know I've, you know, decided or, um, you know, this, this is how I'm identifying now and I'm changing my name to Kyle and da, 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 da. Um, and the best part was just getting to read everybody else's responses, like within seconds, every single uh, one of his friends yeah. was just like just had like the best most amazing supportive loving response that you could ever wish for and I was so proud to like get to know those kids um and get to hear those responses and like everybody was just so great um and um anyway but he in you know again like going away to college getting to like just himself and feel comfortable in his own skin for the first time ever um was definitely like really exploring um the queer community and exploring like what that meant and you know and being part of like different student groups and you know clubs and and different things that really um you know helped give him you know like a lot of that like um just history and knowledge and, and all of that um and so he came home, you know, we were just hanging out one day and, and he kept using the word queer over, you know, like in just as we were talking about different things. And I remember like distinctly thinking like, all right, this is the word we're using now. Um, and it just like, and I think, you know, part of it was that like, I wasn't gay in college, you know, so I didn't get to have any of those, like, theoretical, um, you know, conversations with, like, all of my queer friends, because I just didn't, I wasn't part of that community, you Mm know, Um, but, um, you know, like, you are now, like, you know, he was, it was having all of that, Um, and so, you know, all of his terminology was just so much more like progressive and, and forward thinking and you know um and I was like okay I'm you know I'm in I get it like I can you know um but it was just it was never like a term I had ever really used before because it just I don't know like I wasn't really having those conversations with anybody you know mm-hmm. um so um but I liked, you know, I mean, obviously I love, and like, that's where I was like reading all, you know, your paper. And I'm like, Brittany is such a good writer. Like, I just, <laughs> I love the way you break it down. And I love the way, you know, like the history of it and just, you know, the, 
the, you know, the fact that, like, the gay community was just like, no, screw you, we own this word. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I love that. Like, I love that, you know, like, you don't get to take this away from us. You don't get to use this in a negative way. We're taking it back, you know, and, like, the empowerment of that, um, I just love, you know, it's like, um, I love that it's just so, like, inclusive, you know, like, there's so many terms within the gay community that are so exclusive. And I think, mm-hmm. like, for such a time, you know, gay was sort of, like, you know, like, gay was kind of the word that was supposed to include everybody, but more often than not, people would just, you know, sort of first and foremost think gay men, right? Yeah, it has, like, a masculine connotation. Yeah. Um, and, like, for me... You know, like, people obviously, you know, like, I'm, you know, married to a woman, so people just, you know, like, assume that I'm a lesbian, and, you know, and I don't really identify with that term, mm-hmm. so, you know, so, like, I like that queer is just, like, sort of has that, um, that inclusive, all-encompassing, um, feel, and, mm-hmm. um, and I just think that, like, as the queer community keeps expanding, you know, like, with non-binary and there's, you know, like, there's just everything, you know, it's like, there's not just, you know, you're not, not necessarily trans, but you're not necessarily, you know, it's sort of like everybody, you know, like, anybody who's not straight can be queer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I think it does a good job of not, like, of just, like, highlighting identities that have existed, but, like, haven't had, like, their time in, like, mainstream media or even, like, non-mainstream media. So, like, being non-binary and being trans and being, like, um, pansexual or polyamorous and, like, genderqueer and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, like, did you ever have, like, a negative connotation of the word queer? Or was it just, like, never anything you even thought about? Yeah, I don't think it was. Okay. Um, uh, and, um, no, so I don't think I ever had a negative connotation for it or a negative feeling about it. Um, I think it just wasn't really a word that I was... Ever thought about? Use, you know, like, really utilizing. Interesting. Uh, so. Um. Uh, oh, and I mentioned earlier, I know you had asked about, like, my, like, stuff at work. Um. And I think, like, just in my current job, um, I don't feel like I am treated any differently (laughs) whatsoever, like, on campus or, like, in my, you know, because I'm in the School of Social Work, A. So, you know, like, the men that aren't, that, that aren't queer, (laughs) I'm always like, wait, there are straight men? (laughs) You know, nobody ever asks about my husband. (laughs) Um, you know like I think I talked about you know my wife and my children like in my interview um, and nobody batted an eye you know that's lucky okay after conducting each of these interviews I realized that the purpose of my podcast got away from me a bit 
However, I still feel like the data collected and feelings shared are very important and interesting to note. The first thing that struck me was the two varying definitions of coming out. When I asked Rosario about their quote-unquote coming out story, they immediately jumped into a memory of coming out to themselves, or I guess understanding and accepting themselves and their sexuality. Meanwhile, Rebecca immediately associated coming out with revealing her bisexuality to her immediate nuclear family. Another thing I noticed was that right off the bat, my aunt, Rebecca, could label herself as bisexual, and Rosario could label themselves as a non-binary lesbian. However, when we delved a bit more into their stories, it felt as though Rosario had been through much more of a journey in exploring their queerness than Rebecca had. Perhaps this has to do with the ages. For example, Rosario was still five years younger than Rebecca was when she came out. Or perhaps it has to do with the change in culture. Rosario has been out for quite some time and has been able to experience different life milestones as an out queer person, while Rebecca was not afforded the same experience. Also, Rebecca came out in the 90s, and Rosario didn't have to come out to the 2010s. That's like a 20-year difference. Regardless, Rosario and Rebecca are two of my role models in the queer community. Obviously, my Aunt Becca was the first queer person I ever met, and knowing that no matter what, I'd always have someone accepting me for who I am has fueled a really beautiful relationship between the two of us, and she's someone I will always love, cherish, respect, and look up to as not only a queer role model, but a role model in life. Rosario I didn't meet until freshman year, but they are also someone who has heavily shaped me discovering myself, encouraging me to enjoy queer culture in college, to join their countless queer organizations, and even one of the first people to ever say to me, hey, it's okay to not be a girl. As someone who identifies as queer and who also happens to be pursuing an undergraduate degree, I would like to take a moment to provide my own experiences as well. Discovering my identity has been a long, grueling journey that seems to have no end in sight. I'm lucky to be someone who has liberal-leaning parents and to have had relatives and family friends in my life who are in the LGBTQIA community. I know my family is fine with it, and they wouldn't disown me or ask me why over and over until the word lost all meaning. I know I'm extremely, incredibly lucky in that sense, and that I had and have nothing to fear in coming out. The thought, however, still positively rocks me to my very core. I knew in high school that I wasn't straight, and that frightened me. I stayed closeted, I avoided gay media and queer culture at all costs. And then, at the age of 17, I moved 200 miles away from home, and for the first time in my life, I was utterly, unequivocally alone. So, I explored. I was curious and tasting freedom in a way I never had before. As the oldest of three children and the only daughter, I was always... Someone who needed to be relied on. Someone who needed to be somewhere all the time. Someone who was a dependent. And now, I was entirely on my own. So, I embraced my fears. I became enamored with gay media, obsessed with queer culture. My entire identity at Hofstra is based around my queerness, my otherness. 
I learned from my wonderful classmates and friends that my discomfort within my body and within my brain was a shared experience. That there were words I could use and pronouns aren't something that are stuck with you for life, but that gender is a construct. I am queer. My pronouns are they, she. I love people regardless of their pronouns, and there are no parameters in which I need to identify. I have shed my high school self, the one who knew there were only two genders that swore up and down, left and right, that I was straight. And although I now exist within this void of queerness, with no labels at all, I feel as though I know myself more than I ever have before. Being queer to me means existing in a constant state of confusion. It means not knowing what's going on with you, but understanding that that's okay. It means existing between labels and genders and sexualities. It means loving fiercely and holding on tight. It means being different. It means being alone. It means being myself in a way that I never thought imaginable. And I think that's beautiful. Although I have spent the majority of this podcast highlighting the beauty and inherent power within the word queer, it's important to note that the reclamation of the word doesn't mean the end to homophobia and bigotry. According to the Williams Institute, over 10,300 hate crimes involve a firearm each year, and nearly one-fifth of hate crimes are based on sexual orientation or gender identity bias. According to the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights, The average life expectancy of trans women in the Americas is between 30 and 35 years of age. Let that sink in for a minute. 30 years old. That's 10 years older than I am now. Meanwhile, the Center for Disease Control asserts that the average life expectancy for cisgender women is 78 years old. Trans women have less than half the life expectancy of their cis counterparts. Half. They are still being killed at a disproportionate rate. This year alone, 22 trans women have been reported as being killed. In his work in Autoethnography of Living with HIV, Dr. Andrew R. Spieldenner says, I am afraid of disappearing, of being that person haunting someone's space. Although he is referring to his HIV diagnosis, I felt as though the sentiment is one that is shared widely among the queer community. Making this podcast was a lot. It was overwhelming in moments and cathartic in others. Hearing the real-life queer experiences of family and friends is always something that tugs at my heartstrings. The major thing I got out of it was an insane sense of community. Even though I was interviewing two people who have never met and are currently nearly 300 miles away from one another, I had never felt more surrounded and closer to my queerness. This podcast has reminded me that while oftentimes, or nearly all the time, I feel alienated and alone in my sexual and gender identity, I never really am. I'm lucky to surround myself with the people I can. I'm lucky to be out and not have to fear for my safety because so, so, so many people do. I'm 
so lucky to have this sense of community that I feel most of us in the queer community share, especially on a college campus level. I am lucky to be queer. I love being queer. I am queer. This is just a special thanks section. I would like to give a few special thanks to finish off this podcast. First, I would like to thank Rosario and my Aunt Rebecca for allowing me to interview them and for letting me frantically ask questions and review the script over and over before finally interviewing them, after pushing the date off multiple times and crying over it. I would like to thank them for being so, so open and beautiful and warm and kind and intelligent. I love you both forever. Next, I would like to thank Dr. F. Thimiu. I'm so sorry if I butchered that. I'm absolutely sure I did. For allowing me to explore myself and my community, and also to get a grade on it. Also, for her endless patience and kindness, I am forever grateful. Finally, I would like to thank my best friend, Lizzie, who even a thousand miles away made me feel secure and heard. I'm obsessed with you. I would like to thank my housemates for turning down the volume when I needed you to and for listening to me freak out over this podcast. I would like to make my thank my family and friends for being so beautiful and kind and accepting. Should I continue this podcast? Who knows, but I just might. Thanks for listening to Queer You with Bryn Levine.